Blog Talk Radio. Okay, we could do this. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind, in your heart. Chester, and it's going to snow later, but don't let it get you. It's not going to let you down. And I would like to welcome award-winning authors Charles Salzberg and Dick Belsky, and hopefully Dennis Palumbo. And good morning, and welcome to MJ Network. It's nice to see you. So glad you're hey. here. Good morning, Fran, Charles. Uh, Charles yeah. and I can uh, do this until then. We can yeah, hope for it until right. Dennis shows up. We've we've done this. We have plenty of I know. <laughs> <laughs> All, all I know is that ever since this pandemic started, and I really wish this virus would, you know, take a trip to another planet somewhere or to another place that deserves it because we don't, um, everything in the publishing industry has changed. And every time I get, a, you know, near, a book to review, I have to pray to God that I get a print copy because I can't read on my computer. And... Yesterday, I don't know what happened. I have to. I have to. I, I'm, I have to brag. I'm sorry. Um, I got a, an email from Jean Ann Krentz and Amanda Quick, and she's asked her for, to be interviewed in April. I was like, oh my god! So I am really excited that she thinks I'm good enough to interview. <laughs> how has the pandemic changed the way you write? I'm glad you don't write about it. And how has it impacted, you know, getting a book published in print? Well, I can I can start out if because uh, I always like to one up Charles on these things. Um, uh, first off, just in in reference to your thing, and I know you're always trying to get print copies. I mean that um, that's yeah. still the case. I I just this morning actually I reached out to I think it was Penguin to get a copy. I'm interviewing uh, Jonathan Kellerman for his new book um, in another oh, month or nice. so, and. Um, and uh and the exact same thing happened uh i said could i get a book and they you know they're like well if we really have to but you know they take me to net galley which is fine with me because you know i can do that and it's quicker and i don't mind it but uh it does seem that a lot of publishing houses are still um you know are still not uh, doing uh, the the print uh, copies that you know that they that they used to, but um, I mean you know the advanced copies. But you know in terms of myself, I mean you know Fran, I think we've talked about this on this show. Um, you know every writer is different the way they write, and uh, the, the yeah. pandemic has changed the way I write dramatically, and not in a good way because people say to me. You know, oh, you have a lot of time to write now because you're home more. You know, but it doesn't work like that because I've never really been comfortable writing home or in my apartment. Uh, I like writing around crowds. I like writing around people, and uh, mm-hmm. I've always written in coffee shops or at the writers' room in New York and places with people around because that's kind of what inspires me. And of course, for the past uh, you know year and a half or more, uh, you really don't want to be places with a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's made my actual writing. Uh, more difficult, uh, it, you know, and uh, even though you have more time, uh, I can't, uh, I can't write in the way that I that I normally always have. Um, I, I, 
didn't need no stinking pandemic to have to allow me to avoid writing. So it didn't really uh, affect me at all. All I know is that Dick's got a, a new book out every four months. So he must, uh, he, you know, wherever he writes, wherever you, you, you and Vincent Zandri, I mean, you, yeah. you put the rest of us to shame because you've got the two series. Um, but to, to be honest, friend, it didn't, it's my life. It was, it was like my whole life was uh, rehearsing for social isolation. So for me, it was, it was great because I didn't need an excuse not to go out. And at one point, I don't know if you had this, because Dick, you, you, you live he, here in the city and you have a right. place in Jersey. Right. But I, I realized that I, in a year, I had not been out after dark. Yeah, because there was yeah. no reason to be out after dark. I wasn't teaching. My classes were all Zoom and all that. So it, it, it definitely changed things. But for me, my biggest problem now is getting myself to go out. Like, I don't know if you're going tonight, Dick, to the Rebels, mm-hmm. but, but I'm going to go, and I'm just going to force myself to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, and uh, the reason is because of the obvious. Uh, you know, I do a lot of stuff now. I go places, obviously, but um, I'm just not, because of COVID, I'm still not comfortable. This is mm-hmm. me. It's my decision. I'm just not comfortable being in a, you know, basically with a bar with 100 people or whatever all clustered in uh you know i haven't done that in nearly two years and i'm still gonna you know gonna hold off a little bit on it uh so yeah, uh, no, I, I mean i, I mean, think i'll be big, fine but you know it, it's just my feeling is this everyone has a different level of anxiety mm-hmm. and we have to respect that and so you know i never uh, uh, i think whatever makes you comfortable dick and you know so yeah uh, you know I, so you're making the right decision for yourself because well, you're well, nervous. You, you wouldn't have you, fun. Well, you know, um, to, yeah, and I miss it because uh, I remember I was at the last one in 2019. I think we, we were, you were there too. I remember yeah. sitting with mm. Reed and a bunch of people. We all had a great time. And, uh, and so I, I do miss that. But um, it's like um, this came up with, uh, you know, I haven't been, I've, I've just registered, uh, uh, and Charles, I don't know where you stand on this, but I just went ahead and registered optimistically for a couple of the big conferences, you know, next year, mm. you know, hoping that they'll do it. Now, last year, the only conference was Killer Nashville. Um, and, you know, I've, I've gone to that pretty much every year for six or seven years. And in the end, I waited to the very end. And in the end, it was like, you know, I probably could go and I probably could be fine. And I knew people that went and they were fine. Um, but I sort of operate on the theory like, is this going to dramatically change my life if I go or don't go? And if it doesn't, um, I tend to just, you know, stay on the safe side. But again, as you said, Charles, I, I really respect everybody. Everybody just needs to do whatever they think is, you know, is best for them. So, Charles, I'm with you because I go nowhere. The, the only place I go to is the pharmacy or the bakery to get a Danish. That's about it. Or, you know, if well, I have to go to a doctor's office, um, I'm very careful because I won't sit in the office. And if I have to go to the dentist, I wait in the car till they tell me to come in. It's crazy. Yeah. My whole family had COVID. Everybody had it right. in Florida, and everybody had it in New Jersey. And the scary part is that half of my family in Florida is not vaccinated. So when they came up to right. New York, I told them I, I couldn't see them. I don't know if I was right or wrong or indifferent. But no, I, I think you're afraid, right. I? I, I think I mean, you're I right, Brad. Yeah. I was Brent. afraid. Yeah, Fran, you know, to get back to your question, there, ha- there is a big change 
having to do with COVID, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that Dick has, you know, yeah. thought about this and discussed it too. Is how do you how do you deal with it when you're writing? Yeah. In other words, do you just ignore yeah. it? Do you set the book before? Do you, because it's changed life forever. I mean, my particular choice is to ignore it. Yeah, um, and I, I'm the ex- I'm the exact way, same way, Charles, because that's the decision I've made too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it has affected writing in, in that way because you know all my writer friends are saying the same thing that that Dick and I are. You have to make that choice, and most of them, I think, are making the choice to ignore it. Well, wow. the other the other question, Charles, would be if you do do it, and I, I just and I'm going to mention a book where mm. by a very very well known great writer who 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 I had a pro- with a problem with doing this. If you did do it, and you know you're writing a book now, and the book will maybe you know at best will come out in 18 months. Right. Um, you know, I mean, given the past year, I mean, no one knows what in the world it's going what the world is going to be like in 18 months in terms of uh, COVID. So. Uh, for me, uh, I, and so the example, and I, I, I think I don't know mm-hmm. if we talked about this, uh, Fran. Um, mm-hmm. I think you read the book, but um, Michael Conley's new book. Um, and, oh yeah, uh, yeah, it's the new Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. And look, I am the world's biggest Michael Conley fan. I've read every one of his books. I mean, well, forty whatever of them, everything. And uh, you know, he's I think maybe the best to me the best kind of mystery thriller writer of our of our time having said that um and this isn't so much about the book per se or the plot or the characters um i i was really put off because he dwells heavily on covid in it yeah and he's got covid very dated he's got it like at the beginning of 2020 which is when the book is set and everybody is talking about putting their masks on and all that kind of yeah. stuff and being vaccinated and and i i gotta tell you when i went, I went on amazon and i saw a lot of people said the same thing it kind of stops you when you're reading it you know because I think a lot of us, and I'm this way when I'm reading a book, I like being carried off in a fictional world, and it kind of brings you back to reality, and I'm not sure that's, to me anyway, that's not always a good thing. Um, you're not alone, Dick, because a couple of other writer friends I know, we were discussing it the other day. I haven't read yeah. it. One of them had, and he said the exact same thing as you, that he thought it was a mistake on Connolly's part to do that, uh, and he was interested to see what the, the feedback was going to be or the blowback. Yeah, it also opens you up, and this is uh, which I try and avoid. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it also opens you up to all the political, uh, you know, feedback from people, you know, for mm-hmm. the because you know because uh, this has become politicized so much with you know Trump or you know anti-vaxxers or the government is doing all these things. I mean, which I really try and tune out as much as I can because I'm just worried about the actual the virus. But um, it, it just opens you up to a lot of. There's a lot of political stuff when you read some of the, the reviews on Amazon, which I, I just did because I was, was interested. And, I, and I, I, I've seen – this is probably another topic we could, we could get into, but I've seen this a few times in other people's books. I don't know if you, what you do, Charles, but uh, when, when an author in a fiction starts getting into a political thing, um, mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes that can be dangerous because you know, you're going to basically wind up turning off probably half your audience because the country is so divided. So, you know, there's that issue, too. I, I, again, with me, Stephen King does it a lot, too. He'll drop political stuff into his, his – I read his uh, latest book, which is also really good, but he's got a lot of, pro, a lot of political references in there. Um, so, look, you know, far be it from me to tell Michael Conley and Stephen King what to do, but uh, I can just tell you what, what I like and what bothers me when I'm reading a book. 
what happens when you use a po- I'm reading one like that now, by the way, and I hate it. And I have to interview the author. I won't say the name of it. What happens when you take a political leader like Putin, I could say that, and destroy him in a book and say that he's responsible for killing a whole lot of people in a school? I mean, that is political, and it's like, oh, my God, how can this person do this? And the book deals with COVID also, and I'm like, what do you, what do, you do? What would happen if somebody like a political leader finds out that an author wrote like that? Can they do something about it? Because sure, this is not the only one that I read. And there was one that I read before that where the uh, was a bone of contention about the vaccine. And they said, well, you know, people have a right to whatever. And when I wrote the review, I mean, I said, they have a right to review, but would you want to be in the in the presence of these people? What do you do? Can can the political leaders say anything? Because it's like they're blaming him for everything. Not that I'm, you know, matters, but whatever. Well, well just from a very practical point of, of view, I think it's a mistake to, um, yeah. to do that because uh, not for safety purposes or anything like that, but, in, but right away what you do is you limit, uh, as Dick said, if you're lucky, your book is going to come out, you know, 18 mm-hmm. months to maybe even two years, you know, by the time you finish. And, and events happen so quick. And so the last thing you need to, to, to have the reader stop because mm-hmm. you've, meant you, you've used a political figure and between the time you yeah. wrote it and now, that person was assassinated. So right away, all your readers are going to think, wait, you know, he, he's, he's dead, he can't be alive. So why take that, that risk? Um, I, I don't think that, you know, if you're in the public view, there's, you know, you can use any name you want. And I've used real people mm-hmm. in my books too. But, um, but and there's a very interesting podcast about the very thing he said um, when uh, Seth Rogen made the movie about um, uh, that took place in, or part of it was North Korea, and they actually mentioned, um, you know, the dictator of, and the blowback, and and that was the script mm-hmm. and the blowback. It's incredible. They, the movie was never released because they were afraid that uh, Kim was going to come after uh, everyone, if not financially, economically, physically, you know, because he's a dictator. He can do stuff like that. So the answer to your question, I would never worry about it, but sure, it's fine. anything's possible. Well, you also open yourself up to, a, I mean, a, a bunch of other stuff. Number one, when you're using a real person, then you have to make sure you have all the real facts about that yeah. real person. And if you get anything wrong, uh, then somebody's going to point out, well, that didn't happen. He, was, he, wasn't, he didn't take office in this year. He took office in this year. So it complicates it. The other thing, which is much less than what you, you, two, you've been, you were talking about, I've just found in general, um, and I don't know, I presume you may share some of this feeling, Charles, that, that you know, as a journalist who deals in facts all the time, uh, I like making everything as fictional as possible for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, like the, one of my regrets was I had a series uh, uh, before my current series with Gil Malloy, who was a reporter I had for the New York Daily News. And normally I would have put him at a fictional paper, but for whatever reason I put him at a real paper where I had worked. And that caused a lot of problems because all all these things started happening with the Daily News. I mean, it basically, you know, came close to closing down. I mean, they, their office closed. And I'm writing about a real place that it no longer resembles anything in my book, so I have to fictionalize a real place. I just find with, with like things like papers or media, TV stations, even towns, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's better to, to, to 
fictionalize it. Um, my, my, one of my, my last series, Fran, which I know you've read, um, I have a, 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 a cop in, uh, in a place called uh, Cedar Cliffs Martha's Vineyard. Well, Cedar Cliffs is really Oak Bluffs Martha's Vineyard, where I've spent a lot of time. But I didn't want to call it by the real name because I have people doing bad stuff in that town, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So as a writer, uh, I just find it, it better and more effective to uh, keep everything as possible uh, in, in a fictional sense as opposed to writing about real people. Yeah, well, they said, uh, I don't they said that Castro have a third have does Castro have a third brother? And this one, Dennis is here too. Hi. They yeah. they Hi, they literally sorry, said I'm that late. Castro has hey, a third Dennis. brother. Hi. Hey, hey, how I, you I mean, doing? I'm sorry I'm late, guys. That's uh, okay. Friend, I, I have another I have another theory about that. I like to name places like restaurants in the yeah. hopes that they will see it and offer me a free meal. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, or mention well, airlines or whatever, because I I'm into getting freebies, so uh, I don't have a problem. You know, it's funny you should, it's no it's funny you should say that because in my my uh, Daniel Rinaldi books that are in Pittsburgh. One of my favorite restaurants is Promonte Brothers, and I mention mm-hmm. it in every darn novel in hopes mm-hmm. that they'll give me a free meal, too. Isn't it so funny? Writers yeah. are just like scum. I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone scum. there, Dennis. Oh, no, we're scum. Yeah, I, 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 I pay my own bills, I guess. I, what can I say? No, I never thought of that. That's a good idea. I think I should, uh, I should try that. Of course, you know, with my luck, you, with all the restaurants closing, I'll write, about a, I'll write about the book will come out. And, you know, I mean, the Palm Restaurant closed in New York City, which was, you know, one of the legendary places on uh, 2nd Avenue. I know, and I I've written that. about that. Did all the branches, did all the branches close? Uh, well, no, well, there's one still in no, no. There's they're around the country, and there's one down in Tribeca. Right. But the two but main there were palms two here in New York, yeah, right. The two main palms, which were Palm and Palm Two, and I've mm-hmm. used that because it's like a classic New York setting, uh, and I've used that, and uh, and but they're now gone. So you, yeah, you got to be you know with restaurants closing, you know that's another issue. But I I kind of like the free meal deal now. Now that you guys have have closed oh, yeah. together, my friend, but it, it could be powerful. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I got free Danish and free cake because I helped the lady in the bakery, her daughter, do her homework. So every so often I'll hey, come Fran. in and get the tuna and chicken salad for free. Hey, Fran, is, uh, poor Fran, is anyone talking about seasonal affective disorder? I got in late. I can't hear you. One second. Say that again. I said, I said, is anyone talking about seasonal affective disorder? I got in late. Uh, no, because I sent you the seat, the um what should we call it? The talking points for January fourth. But if anybody wants to talk about it, uh, you know everybody okay, gets well, depressed I, I, after the new year. I got, I sent them to you yeah. yesterday. Yeah, I just got them, and I didn't know whether it was for today or or January. But I'm I'm on for whatever we are talking about. Believe it or not, the oldest story in the world. My alarm didn't go off, and so I woke up literally ten minutes ago. So you're getting good thing me I emailed you. Well, I apologize. I, I'm a non okay. I'm a non caffeinated person you're speaking to right now. And so but, I'm not responsible for my comments. But you but you have an excuse, Dennis, right? Because you're at seven o'clock in the morning or whatever there. Charles and yeah, I have no no, you normally know. yeah. Yeah. See my first therapy patient is at eight o'clock and so I'm usually on the road by now. Right. Mm-hmm. But because of this, I was setting my alarm at 5.30, and, it, of course, it didn't go off. So <laughs> here I am without coffee, without coffee, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we're glad, we're glad to see it, Dennis, because T.J. Uh, 
TJ had a bail too, and uh, it was just me and Charles. So, you know, obviously, you know, it's good to have someone else. Well, okay. Great. So I'll, I have I'll another question. When you when you want to get a book published, that's the other thing that you know TJ wanted to know about, but he couldn't make it today. We won't say why. Um, <laughs> so sad. Yeah, I want to know. Well, I want you know, to know what happened. Well, when you get arrested for grand larceny, they don't let you do radio shows. Isn't that the, the <laughs> I know, rule? No, I know. TJ's doing a lot of top secret stuff, so you know. Okay. We should talk about TJ. He's a he's TJ is a fascinating guy, and I've I've gotten to know him pretty well. So. So uh, the question is, how 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 hard is it to get a book published now? I mean, a, a lot of the new authors have been asking me too. You know, what happens when you want to get that book published by a publishing company? Or is it hard to get a a publishing date? Or um, like somebody like myself that writes unusual stuff, um, it's hard to get them to want to read it. And I am on tour with Isabella Blackthorne, and I'm getting some interesting comments so far. And that's all I'll say about that. But how hard is it to get a book published, and how hard is it to market it? Because I saw yesterday... Um, John Land, I was surprised. He had the Rhode Island Books Fair or something every year, and there must have been about over 500 people there not wearing masks. The picture that he took. So I, I don't know. How, how do you get well, yeah, a market? No, and do you, uh, that's scary. Well, no, first of all, of course, it's scary, these super spreader events, which is why you know, my whole yeah. book launch for my, my new Rinaldi panic attack, as you know, Fran, I did everything virtually, which was the yeah. same. I used to love uh, book launches and signings and stuff, and uh, it's really a shame. In terms of getting a book published, it's harder now than I've ever seen it. Uh, with my writing mm. patience, it, it, it's just impossible. I was very lucky because my Rinaldi series started 10 or 11 years ago when mm-hmm. it was a lot easier. To be honest with you, it, it was just a lot easier. I, you know, I have an agent, and I was with Poison Pen Press, and they're now source books. But, I, you know, it was still hard. I still got turned down by a lot of publishers. Uh, my favorite uh, uh, turndown letter was, this is a really great book, and if you were Dr. Phil, we'd publish it. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, help not, us. Yeah, because I, I didn't have enough um, platform. I don't know how many psychologists have a lot of Twitter followers, but I didn't have enough, apparently. So uh, that's what they Uh, check now. They check, like, your social media uh, uh, presence, and uh, Business Affairs tries to figure out if there's any good reason to publish your book. You know, friends, there's another another effect, too, and that is that um, things are really slow. My agent has told me, because he's shopping around, a new novel of mine, that he's never seen it as slow as it is, plus they've mm. sort of lowered answers. And so, so there's, a big, there's a big change about that. And, and to a- answer your question, you know, is it harder or not, just it was always hard, as Dennis mm. says. But go into a bookstore one day and look around. Look at all those books there, and you have a book coming out. Why would anyone buy your book as opposed to all the others? And so it's always been daunting, but there are more books being published than ever. So it's just, you know, my feeling is you either do it for love or you don't do it. Yeah, well, also, and, and I think this... people should – go ahead. I was just going to say you should take advantage of small press. I mean, I was very lucky with Poison Pen. Uh, 
people think, well, if I'm not published by the big five, but that's not true. There's a lot of people uh, like Matt Coyle and uh, Tori Eldridge and people like that who've really broken through, and they're not with the big five. Yeah, I, I've, I've, uh, I'm with uh, you know Matt's publishing house, Ocean View. So you know I've gotten to know Matt pretty well, and uh, and yeah, they're 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 I guess a whatever medium small thriller uh, operation. Uh, and before that, I was with um, Simon with Atria, which is part of Simon and Schuster. So I've had a real comparison between the two. And you know, there's pros and cons. Obviously, being with a big house has some advantages, but you you do tend you do tend to get get lost in the mix. Where with Ocean View, I mean, I'm dealing with the woman who, you know, the, the husband and wife who own the place. Um, they're putting out two books a year. I'm sorry, two books a month, one of which is mine, so it's getting uh, a lot of focus. But I, I just think that, you know, talking about getting a book published, Fran, the, the second part of that is is what Charles was referring to, is the even when you get it published, it's 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 a real struggle to get it um, yeah. to get it noticed because there's so many books out there right now. We're going to have a guest appearance in about a minute, too. can't tell you who's calling in. Somebody else is calling in right now. I don't know who, but we'll find out. That little white, black and white building up there is my building. I I don't know. I got picked up by an independent publishing company for Population Zero, and I got ripped off. I mean, they did a great job and everything, and they charged me too much money, and then they didn't do anything to to promote the book. And they told me that if I wanted to get it promoted, they would charge me four thousand more dollars. And I said I could do it myself for everybody else. Hi, Vincent. How are you? <laughs> hey, Fran. How are you? Hey, guys. Hey. Oh, so hey. We have the two hardest working um, mystery writers <laughs> in, in yep. New York State now. Uh, well, no, Vin- Vincent outdoes me. He outdoes me. I mean, I see him in hotel rooms writing around the world all the time. So. <laughs> well, and, 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 and you know what? And, oh, yeah. and you know what? You, I'm, I'm big fans of you guys. But you, you guys know, are like you guys they, are like my heroes. Right, but Vin, what Vince, I mean, usually people like will do you know hunks of one book. He does like ten books. Like for every one book yeah. that we, 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 so yes, Dig. He he even out out uh, out does and, you. And, and, and there's that. like, aren't there like stories and novellas? There's all yeah. sorts of stuff oh, coming yep. out of this guy. Yeah. And, and damn it, they're yeah. good too. So. <laughs> Yeah, because anyone can get your words up, but um, so I, yeah. I'm in awe, really, of both of you. Wow, wow, thanks. Yeah, I really know how to piss the publishers off. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, you're my inspiration for writing scary, but I really wish I had your talent to make it even scarier. But I'm, I'm getting there. Oh, thank you. Frank, so what are yeah, yeah. we facing now? I mean, seriously speaking. Um, you do things on Zoom, and somebody asked me the other day, do you want to do things on Zoom? I said, I don't want to scare the public, to be very honest. Not good. I don't want to do that. And then if they see me, right. they may say, oh, my God, you poor thing. Uh, <laughs> no. So how do, you, how do you get people to notice you in your book? I know that some of you do Zoom and some of you just do virtual. How else do you get people to know that it's there besides I'll tell everybody it's there anyway? Well, social yeah, media I mean, is the big, the biggest thing. I just, I was just gonna say, I think exactly. you really gotta things like you know, you know, working on Twitter, working on you know, Facebook. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's other stuff too, but for you know, those are the things that are in some ways are the most comfortable for me. Instagram, things like that. Um, I mean, I don't do as much of it as I wish I did, but I, but I really focus on it, and I, I think that's a way of that's really a way of getting the word out. I think that you're lucky you're not doing as much as you think you should. Thank you for your report. Because really 
There's nothing that's okay. more of a turn off to people than seeing someone constantly hawking their their books. And so, um, you know, it, it, and I've seen it. I've seen it with people, and I've discussed it with other writer friends of mine. And we shake our heads because if you're only doing about your book, I mean, you know, Vince will do, like, he'll put fishing pictures up, and, uh, you know, it's right. just going to be counterproductive. So in a way, Dick's lucky he didn't have more time to put in because you might overexpose it or do it. Well, you know, yeah. you, Charles, had came up with a really clever uh, approach to that because you do a thing, and I, I'm not sure the exact name of it, but you do these true crime things, um, mm. which uh, which you can mix in, and they're just they're not really about your books; they're just interesting stuff about crime and mystery. So, uh, and you do a lot yeah, of that, very cool. right? Yeah, yep. the um, I, the best piece of advice, uh, and I give it out freely, was because uh, I had a student who was a social media expert, and she was working with me mm. this years ago, and she said, make believe you're a magazine, and so you're posting interesting articles, you're posting, you know, strength, you know, you're help, helping friends by that, and then when you have a book out, you know, you've created this this magazine-like thing. People won't resent it if you if you put out. First of all, you probably gain followers, and people, you know, they have to like you if they want to, you know, if you want to sell them your book. But but that's the way you can you can do it is you build it up, and then people don't resent you um, advertising your own work. Mm. Absolutely. Actually, one thing I've been doing lately that has picked up the numbers for me and. It actually resulted in me not uh, paying for Amazon ads anymore, and that's uh, <laughs> I give away like right I give away a chapter a day of a of a book on Substack, mm. and then like at the at the bottom of the chapter it'll be like you know thank you for reading you know you can go to vincentvincentandrew.com and check things out, and it always results in an uptick of uh, of buys. So that's been working. What, you know, yeah, but you also, have the YouTube you know, also, right, Vincent? You have the YouTube. And I have the YouTube show, yeah. A lot of people yeah, and I have the writer's they've been listening to it, yeah. Sometimes I do also. When you talked about Zoom, though, I mean, um, I mean, this yeah. I find this interesting, and I'm, you know, it's going to take a little, I guess, the opposite approach. To your, you're talking about some people don't do Zoom. I mean, to me, Zoom is is terrific. I mean, I mean, there's no downside to doing it. Uh, you get to mm-hmm. a lot of places you wouldn't normally get. So even if you get back to doing virtual book signing stuff, which I love, and meeting people in bookstores, um, I mean, the great thing about doing a Zoom or any kind of virtual thing is, uh, you know, you don't have to, you're not just selling to people who are in your area. I mean, if I do a book launch mm-hmm. in New York, I mean, you know, maybe Charles Salzburg will show up, but uh, but Dennis <laughs> won't, or, you know, uh, you know, or right. Vincent might not, you know, and, and right. but if I do a Zoom, I mean, I can get people on the West Coast, and like, when I did one of my recent books, um, I generally do a launch at the Mysterious uh, Bookshop in New mm-hmm. York, uh, and, right. uh, you know, I can get, normally, because I, you know, know a lot of people in the media, I generally get like about maybe 75, 80 people or show up, which is great, you know, and you can sell maybe awesome. 40, 50 books, so that's great. The last, one of the last ones I did, we, we, we had to do it like on whatever, FaceTime or YouTube or all these things. Uh, because of the pandemic, I had like 350 people showed up. So I mean, wow. I, you know, it, wow. there are advantages to it because I was getting people in the Midwest that knew me that couldn't normally show up and things like that. 
none of this takes away from the, 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 the idea that it's great to be in a bookstore and meet people and talk to people face-to-face. Mm-hmm. But I think even when uh, we can do that again, there's still, you know, Zoom still, you know, it's like businesses. I mean, people are discovering there's a lot of things you can do differently than you, than you did in the past. But then I would have to do hair and makeup. I'd have to do hair and makeup and make sure I look good and have a great outfit on. See, that's different. I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to do that. I have to change the color of my streaks and highlights too. You know, to look younger. <laughs> what can I say? You know, I, I wouldn't even sp- know. I have the same problem, Plan. I have the same problem. I know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have a face. I have a face made for radio. The way I look at it. And, and, uh, <laughs> Me too. But. I do think it's a good point. When I did my my little launch of Panic Attack, uh, my my new Rinaldi book, I got people from all over the place. And you know, I, I did it out of the bookstore, the Mystery Lovers Bookshop in Pittsburgh, which is where I always launch my books. It's a nice little indie bookstore. It's wonderful, and um, and always get just you know friends and relatives, whoever my you know dad can strong arm into coming uh, to my to my signing. But this book launch, I had people from all over the country zoom in. So uh, yeah. on, on the one hand, I, I missed the personal touch. But on the other hand, I think I reached a lot of people I might not normally have reached. Yeah, and, and, so and I, how do you do it? I had the exact same situation with Mystery Lovers because I've gone there a couple – it's a great little bookstore in uh, this oh, little town wonderful. outside Pittsburgh. And uh, the only problem I have with it uh, is that uh, they used to have the world's greatest bakery right across the street, and the bakery moved. I but know. other than that, it's a great little bookstore. Yeah, they moved. Um, yeah, in a quaint little town, and uh, but I had the exact same, uh, uh, in, you know, thing you did, which is um, I did my last one or two uh, remotely, and it's interesting because you get more people and you get get more of a variety of people who uh, who check in, and you can get you get the weirdest surprises. I did one there, and a guy uh, a guy was in the audience, and he introduced himself during the Q and A, and he said, "Do you know Do you know who I am?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> And it turned out that he, he was my commanding officer when I was in Vietnam 50 oh years ago. And it's just, I have not, oh you know, God. out of the blue, you know. And I just, it was like such a great moment. And I was like, oh, my God. And he said, yeah, you know, I've been reading your books, and I wanted to just pop in. That is the, the, that is the advantage of, of doing something like this. Well, you yeah, know, how, do you get people to, how do you get people to listen? When you're going to set something well, up you know, like the, that, how do you do that? I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, what, you guys were all talking about social media, and uh, I'm on, you know, Facebook and Twitter. I, I don't like it very much, but uh, your 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 advisor, your media advisor, was correct. I don't talk about my books every day. Uh, mm. I'll, I'll talk about, you know, social issues, especially as a psychologist. I get like a, a, a free pass card to talk about stuff, like. Uh, depression, anxiety, uh, that kind yeah. of stuff. And right. so I feel like there's some takeaway for the reader who's who's on, you know, on my feed, if that's the correct word you kids use nowadays, uh, who, who, who reads it, so that when I finally do go, hey, you know, uh, Fran just gave me an award. By the way, thank you so much, Fran. Um, You're welcome. Or, or, uh, yeah, thanks, uh, Fran. Or just saying, uh, so I, I think they come off as a lot less obnoxious. Uh, which, you know, the problem is because so many authors have to do so much of their own publicity. There's a danger in in coming across as as uh, constantly pushing your book. And, right. Uh, 
Now, the good news for me, which is also bad news, is I'm a full-time therapist. And so unlike my mystery writing colleagues who put out a book every year, a new Daniel Rinaldi comes out every three or four years because I don't have the time to write them. And so as a result, you know, I, I, you're not getting hammered because it's going to be three years between when I'm pushing the book. Well, how do you decide what to write on that's not about the pandemic to be different? Because, Vincent, you write about everything, and I read everything you write, because I'm trying to write my next one, and I'm trying to figure out how to make this main character really evil and doing some rotten things before I I finish with the the title. Yeah, I I mean, I'm learning a lot, but I was able to write the scenery, but when it comes to writing about the character, that's hard. So how do you create these evil people that I love? And I can't wait to read some of the next ones because the ones I'm reading now, to interviews, oh my God, I'm 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 trying to be polite and nice. Sometimes I just like, oh my God, why me? I know. So I think well, like the guy, well, like I don't know. For me anyway, like I learned from from my fellow panelists, like create a normal yeah, person, good. a normal <laughs> likable person, and then but then deep down inside, you know, you know he's got like a fran a fran room down in his basement, you know. Um, well, you know, you know what I'm saying, and uh, there's, there's, everybody's got an evil side and a, and a, and a good side, and uh, you know, um, some people just can't help but bring that evil side out, and they're just normal, everyday functioning people. Look like, look at the, who is that serial killer? Help me, you guys. Uh, John, John Wayne Gacy. Right. Um, yeah, John Wayne yeah. Gacy or Ted Bundy. He was, yeah. he was like a pillar of society, and he had like, uh, I don't know how many Boy Scouts buried under his house. Yeah. Well, he was going for the merit badge. When you go for the merit yeah. badge, it's how many of them you can bury in your, your backyard, I think. Yeah. Um, well, they, with, I think there's two with, types with of characters, though, too. You know, I'm not sure what you're, when, you're, when you're asking about it, Fran, because, yeah, there's the evil characters like, uh, you know, your serial killer, which I've written about and most of us, you know, who kills and yeah. does terrible things. And those people yeah. generally have no redeeming qualities. The, the the trickier one I think is writing your main protagonist because uh That's hard. you know, you you need you need to not always, but in most cases I think you want that person to be likable enough for the you know, that he's basically a good mm-hmm. person, whether it be a man or woman. Right. But mm. you gotta have, this person's gotta have flaws and I think that's one of the the most important things you do that I've tried to do when I've been I writing my books that you you you've got to have flaws in your character because people have mm-hmm. flaws and they and so like that that's how they relate to it. So this person does things and screws up. I mean, I had somebody wrote a view of one of my Claire Carlson books saying, you know, she makes me so mad sometimes. I just want to throttle her. Why doesn't she just do, you know? But I took that as a compliment yeah. because it was like he was he cared about the person. But um, so I think I think right for me, it's getting that main character right. And when I say right, I mean. They can't be perfect, you know. They've, they've, I think all of us have, you know, we write characters that have got a lot of things wrong with them, but in the end, you've you, you got to make them likable enough that the reader wants to follow them through the book. Yeah, right. that's yeah. really important. Uh, the thing is, Fran, as you know, my Rinaldi books, my, my lead character, Daniel Rinaldi, is very flawed, but people root for And I think one of the keys for a main character is the stakes have to be big. Right. If the stakes right. are big, they don't have to be like, you know, World War Three stakes. 
It could be stakes as simple as, you know, he's going to lose his clinical license or his wife's going to leave him or something. But the stakes have to be enough that you put pressure on your lead character, and we worry for them. Most of my readers tell me they're worried for Daniel Rinaldi all the time because, Mm -hmm. you know, he could be very reckless and stuff. And uh, they, they root for him, but they're worried for him a lot. And I think that that's the perfect way to go. Well, what happens when the character is controlled by somebody else and he has no choice but to do the wrong thing? So how do you, how do you get him to turn back the well, other I, way? Well, I, 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 I try not choice. to do that, but uh, I, I was going to add one more thing on the character, and I was thinking about yeah. this as uh, the conversation went on. The other main thing to me in the character, and I realized that virtually every character that I've ever loved, in over, you know, starting from Raymond Chandler to Spencer to Harry Bosch to Kinsey Malone, all the great mystery characters that I have loved, the one constant is integrity. Uh, that no matter right. what they do, there is yeah, integrity, yeah. and there is a moral yeah. base to the person, and you know that right. in the end they're going to do the right thing. And, and to me, I, I can't think of a character I like that doesn't have that quality. Yeah, it's like when... But what when, happens uh, when they don't Huntley do the right thing and the, and the writer screws it up? <laughs> in other words, at the end of the well, thing, like, the, the I, main character loses. Well, I think the thing that I like about, to follow up on that comment, is Michael Conley yeah. has Harry Bosch in one of the first books, I think Black Echo, says uh, mm-hmm. either everybody counts or nobody counts. Right, right. <laughs> so we're really mm-hmm. clear about what its mission is. And that's the other thing. I think your lead character has to have the integrity that in a certain way they have a mission in this story. They're looking right. for justice or they're looking for, you know, w- whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, when I read that in Black Echo, and, and, and Bosch says that, I thought to myself, oh, I, I want to go where this guy goes, because yeah. he cares. Right. And, and he says well, that pretty much in every book. What happens when you have a book, New York Times author whose character is a pompous you-know-what? How do you deal with with that? I mean, I'm not going to tell you who the author is. The I book was okay. I think it's easy. Yeah, yeah you don't read the book. Yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. don't I read it. Not yeah. to. I tried not to, but the publicist wants me to write something. So what I said was I wrote something like a summary. I didn't write my opinion of the book because, personally, the author may be very famous, but I think the main character, is he's tuned into himself and he thinks he's so great, and I can't believe that he has no flaws. And he gets away with just about everything that he does, including well, breaking out of prison, whatever. So I said, oh, my God. But seriously, you know, um, you know, was able, Fran, the person who was able to do that to me was Patricia Highsmith with Ripley. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a totally despicable character, but he's All so right. evil you can't not read him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great character. And I just um, break it a little bit because I, I, I hate the word likable. I hate that word, especially when it comes to writing. I think that the character has to be interesting because yeah. I don't, I, you know, if you said to me, write a likable character, I wouldn't even know how to start. I'm just going to write a character, yeah. and some people will like him and some people won't, and as a writer, I don't really care. As long as you're interested enough to, to want to read, and the Ripley example is the perfect example. The perfect yeah. example. 
Um, I don't think, you know, you're, you're sort of captured by him. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're hypnotized by him, but you don't like him because he's a despicable no. human being, but, but you still understand that she's a good enough writer that you can, that you think this is a real person because I don't think anyone, certainly anyone I know, gets up in the morning and says, rubs their hands together and says, I'm going to be evil today. That's mm-hmm. not the work. Evil comes right. out of people's greed or, uh, you know, vengeance or whatever it is. No one gets up and says, I'm going to be evil today. Well, you know, my well what about spiteful and revenge? <laughs> what about no, if somebody see, does position. something to you in real life and you decide to write about them? Well, you know, you well, you, no, you, see, you get up this right. morning and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this person. But most people wouldn't do that. But what happens when somebody does decide just to show revenge? On someone, do you write about that? I mean, and you in your in your story, in your uh, books. In other words, so and so did this to me, and I'm going to take care of it. That's what I'm reading right now, as a book about uh, somebody killed this girl's fiance, and instead of listening to her CIA operatives, she's going rogue and decided, well, I'm going to go after her and kill her myself. I mean, that's kind of like ridiculous. The vengeance plot. Yeah, see, I, I, I agree with the comment that people don't get up in the morning and be evil. I don't think yeah. actually bad people think of themselves as evil. They do what they do because they think it will make them happy. If you rob a bank, it's because you think mm. that money will change your life, not because mm. you want to be on any FBI poster. And I think that's the thing that makes real villains is to use the regular human condition. Envy, greed, sexual mm. frustration, pain, a sense of being left out, a sense of being forgotten, uh, uh, revenge. All the human emotions make a person do bad things, but nobody gets up and says, hello, uh, I'm going to be evil today. I don't even think Hannibal Lecter thinks he's evil. One of the things that I like about the Lecter character is he feels quite justified uh, in being yeah. who he is. I remember in the in Silence of the Lambs, one of the people he killed was one of his patients, and he said, "Well, but therapy wasn't working anyway." Which I, I just <laughs> oh god, that's that's what makes him great. Good for him. That's what makes him. Great. I, I just want to disagree, and I rarely do this with uh, Charles uh, because I do think likable is important. Um, I don't think I've ever. <laughs> You know, pretty much all the characters I said on some level, even though they're flawed, are likable. And I actually think Henry Swan is likable too, Charles. But anyway, um, uh, 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 could we the, settle the, on the term relatable? Could we settle on the term well, relatable? Yeah, you know, and again, Daniel I don't know what likable means, but 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 yeah, it's I like it's it. just it's. But I but I will. I'm gonna just to expand on that. You know, on occasion, and you were talking about Patricia's books and. Uh, and I'm going to mention one other book. On occasion, I can read a book in which the character is not likable and that there's no likable character in the books, but they're compelling. You know, And I think that's the thing. Right. Right? You, mm. you, want, you find them compelling. And the, the example I'm going to use is uh, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn, uh, which is yeah. really – I thought it was a great book. Uh, it was incredibly successful. And everybody in that book is not particularly a, a good person you know, on various, various levels. True. Um, but you care because you read it. I do think that's kind of an exception, 
But um, but I just you know just getting back to this character and caring about the character, whether it be likable or interesting or intriguing or compelling, whatever it is, to me that is the most important thing. Not only as a writer, but also as a reader. When I'm reading a book, I will if I get into a character, I will finish that book. You know, no matter what, even if the story mm. is no good or stupid or whatever. If I don't care for the character, as you mentioned, Fran, and I don't have to read the book, you know, for an interview or something, I'll yeah. put it down. Because to me, the character is the most important thing in the book, or the characters, uh, even mm. more important than the story or the quality of the writing or whatever. Um, it, it's all about characters to me. So it, you, you want to care about the characters one way or another, whether you love them, hate them, whatever. But then you have right. the character that gets on your nerves, where somebody that's really not <laughs> trained, like a reporter, not a reporter, but just like uh, she writes for a magazine or somebody that's an agent or something, they're not really trained to, to handle a murder mystery, and they get in the nerves of the of the police and then make the police look stupid because so like a Jessica Fletcher thing, they not like John Lynn used to do, which was great. Um, they sort of take over and then they, the police get upset, but they win the case. I mean, those are the ones that go like, are you serious? You're not going to be able to do that. Or they poke into uh, businesses that they shouldn't and they get in trouble. I mean, how do you, how do you deal with that? And, and how do you present the voice of the, of the mean person? Vincent, you're good at that. So is everybody else. How do you present the voice of the, of the character that's evil so everybody knows um, what this person is thinking? That's what I'm trying to think of how to do. I know. Again, these are like these questions. Like, like fellas, I, it just it, it just happened, you know. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really have a formula for it. But um, <laughs> not fair. <laughs> I, I can I can say like, I mean, talking about all this, creating characters. And all this, um, mm-hmm. If I have a fault, if I have a fault, sometimes it's like I'll create um, almost comic book evil characters. Um, I love Like, I, I always go, I always go back to like the uh, the Russian gangster twins. Who you know, and I'll dress them up in like Nike track suits and awful basketball sneakers, and they'll have beer guts and whatever. And you just know that these guys are going to create some serious van damage to somebody, right? Um, mm-hmm. But but like I love writing about them, and uh, you know, and, and 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 it's you know like and so like if I love writing about them, I'm, I mean I'm going to write, you know, it means I'm writing some great dialogue between them. Um, you know, like they'll, they'll say stupid stuff to each other, and they'll get the they'll get the English language wrong, and they'll punch each other out because of it, and stuff like that. Like, but there's no real formula otherwise. You know. No, I think there's no formula because we're we're all human beings, and we're all experts mm-hmm. on the human condition. And so I always figure what you do is take something that you want or that you've ever wanted or whatever. And just imagine no filters, no social filters, no social barriers to go after right. what you want. Like I said, my experience with my bad guys is they don't get up in the morning and want to be evil. They get up in the morning right. and think, if I do this thing, this will be better for me. I'll be happy. It never makes them happy, but that's what they think. And one right. of the reasons I think that it's fun for me to write from the first person of a psychologist is I get to talk about motivation and why people might do what they do. Uh, you know, I, I just think, you know, just being pure evil is not interesting to me. Uh, that's why I think Hannibal Lecter is interesting because he's compelling, not because of just what he does, but because he feels self-justified in doing it, just like Dexter does. And that's 
Right. We all know what self-justification means. We And we couldn't get through a day without a rationalization, let's face it. I mean, how many bad guys go, well, I had to kill him, or I had to kill her. If you watch any uh, right. true crime stuff on TV, half the time the murderers go, well, I needed the money, so I knew if I killed her, I'd get the insurance. I mean, it's like yeah, yeah. they – the rationale is always so banal. It's like what Hannah Arendt called it, the banality of evil. Most people who do bad things are, are not, you know, Mori, Professor Moriarty. They're, they're just regular people who, who go out of line and, and, you know, think that what they need justifies what they do. I'm not talking about serial killers. But I'm talking about, you know, people who kill their cousin to get their truck. Or, you know, I mean, it, it, or, or a 14-year-old will kill someone else to get their sneakers. I mean, it, it, it's hard to believe and hard to fathom. But funnily enough, in my experience in fiction, you have to make the motivations of the villain uh, something that the reader can relate to. When I read about a 12-year-old who kills another 12-year-old because he wants his uh, sneakers, I have no frame of reference for that level of avarice, wanting and not stopping yourself from killing. I literally have no frame of reference for that. And so I couldn't write a character like that because he would just seem to be evil with no reason. And uh, at least Dexter kills bad people. So I, right. I, I think you, you really have to go always dig in what are the characters, what do they want. You know, and, and if you look at yourself and think, who am I? What do I want? What would I do if nothing would stop me from getting it? I mean, I, to be honest with you, you get to explore some dark stuff. When my, my fifth Rinaldi book, Head Wounds, came out, I was doing an interview on NPR, and the reviewer said to me, Dennis, after reading Head Wounds, I only have one question. Are you okay? <laughs> it was because my business was so bad. But he was very justified in what he did. Well, before we end, who's got something new coming out that I didn't get? So I could put you in my. I can't believe that I have no dates left until April. And well, you're a very popular I, person. Yeah. I don't know why all of a sudden, but I, I like I said, I was totally honored yesterday when um, the publicist for Jane Ann Krantz, Amanda Quick, said that she herself asked me asked for the interview, and I go like, Are you kidding me? And I've got Tess. I'm waiting for her to, in June. But I've got April. I've got a few dates open, May, and a whole bunch of other things. So I'm just – if anybody has anything new coming out, let me know now so I can put you in my schedule. Because you guys come first. I have a, April 18th, I have a new novel coming out. Let me see on my on my schedule on my phone. Thank but goodness I, don't I have, have my, I my don't cell have phone, my new copies. cell phone. Okay, that would be Easter Monday. That's up to you. What about the 18th or the 19th? Which works for you? Um, let's do it the 19th. Okay, the 19th, the 10, and I'm going to put you in there. What's the title of the book so I know what I'm reading? Canary in the Coal Mine. That sounds interesting. Send me some interest in, information so that I could... Put it out there okay. the right way. Does anybody else have anything coming out in May or June that I need to know about? Well, I, I called oh, Mr. Rinaldi and asked him if anything was going on with him, but he hasn't returned my call. So uh, I, I did. I, 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 yeah, I have a I have a hunch he's just snubbing me. I, I think I got ghosted by my lead character. He's uh, he's not well, returning my call. 
He happens. said he wanted you to do it for my birthday in September when I'm 25. <laughs> he specifically said oh, that. I'm serious. So I forgot. Well, I don't know how old I am. As a matter of fact, that's another thing I have to find out about because my mom fudged a lot of information, and I'm younger than I think, so that's all that really matters because I don't care. Just, just yeah, look at it the way Satchel Page uh, did. When someone asked him how old he was, he said, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you was? Oh, I was 20, 25, that's it. My nephew's 26. I figured I was born the year before. That's all. Ah, it, there you go. All right, listen, it. I'm going to have to go because I have a therapy patient okay. in five minutes. But thank you so much for inviting me. And, again, I'm sorry I was late, Fran. That's okay. No problem. We'll just give you a timeout all next right. time. No problem. So um, don't, don't kill your patient. All right. I will. What do you have Vincent, when are one of those books coming out, any of them? The ones on Facebook? I got to get you. I I have something right now till 2023. I have something coming out every month. So, uh, wow. Okay. You'll let me know when I'm thinking about the manager. Charles, he definitely, he definitely beats the hell out of me, this guy. You know, come on. I know. Oh, yeah. Dick, well, yeah. Have, I'm, I'm going to go shoot myself. I, I have, a, I have a, the next Claire will be out in the fall of 2022, so I'll be in touch with you then. And then I'm beginning work on a three book, new three-book series um, oh, good. with my Dana Perry byline, uh, that'll, and those will all come out in 2023. So they're down the line awesome. a bit, but, uh, but I do have some stuff in the pipeline. Okay, awesome. so I'm going to be on Thursday tomorrow. I have to make up something. I can't say why because it's so sad. It's my own fault. No, I'm going to do a pickle pink in Paris with the author tomorrow. And on Monday, Tuesday, I have the author of uh, Nancy Walker. And on Thursday, I have the author of Cliff Diver. And one better way to end December than with Deb Pines, A Plague Among Us. And on Dennis is starting my uh, new year on January 4th with, we're going to talk about um, Winter Blues. And on the 5th, so far so good, Mark Cameron chain of command at 12 o'clock that's just some of the people that are coming on so everybody stay safe thank you so much everybody um those of you, you. that are coming on on january Thanks, 26th charles i think you're in on this one we're going to talk about the last line of a story everybody have a great day wear a winter coat because it's freezing and bye <laughs> thank you bye guys bye bye